Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today on the Bregman Leadership Podcast is Stuart Craner. Stuart, along with Des Dearlove, uh, started the Thinkers 50, which we're going to talk about uh, today. I uh, am was very sort of humbled and, and pleased to have been selected as one of the 30 top thinkers on their radar uh, for 2019, and it's a it's it was a very very meaningful award to me, and and this is an organization that I think of as basically the Academy Awards of leadership thinking and thought leadership, where uh, Thinkers 50 looks at who are the top 50 thinkers in a sort of biennial curation of of the sort of top thinking that's going on in leadership. Um, Stuart was the former editor of the London Business School's award-winning magazine, Business Strategy Review. He wrote with Des Dearlove, the Financial Times Handbook of Manager. He was uh, of management. He was, uh, they were the editors. And uh, they also have created a number of best-selling books, Generation Entrepreneur, Gravy Training, What We Mean When We Talk About Leadership. So I'm very honored to have, Stuart, to have you with us. Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Very nice to talk to you, Peter, and, and thank you for that um, highly flattering introduction. I feel I feel humbled myself. Well, you, you deserve it a little bit. You end up giving it to so many other people that it's nice uh, periodically for you to get one yourself. So So tell us... Tell us about the Thinkers Fifty. Like what you know, you you started this uh, in in I guess it was two thousand and one. So you know you've been doing it for close to twenty years. What? Why did you decide to start the Thinkers Fifty, and what are you hoping that it will do in in the world of management and in the world in general? Well, our background, Des and I, our background is as business journalists. So we used to write a column in the Times of, of London. I write for publications throughout the world, and then we started writing our own books. And then from writing our own books, then we started ghostwriting books and we got involved in book projects in a variety of ways. And then we started working with uh, business gurus and would-be gurus. And we thought just over a very long lunch, we thought it'd be interesting because we know that rankings are interesting to people uh, from our journalistic background. Uh, and we thought it'd be interesting to do a ranking of the, the top management thinkers. So that was in 2001. So we created a website and, and published the ranking. And there was quite a lot, we were surprised how much interest there was. And then we thought we'll do it every two years, because if you do it every year, it's, it kind of undermines it a little bit, I think. Uh, so we thought we did it every two years. So every time we do it, we've, we've had more attention. And so it's grown from that. And to be honest, early on, the, the first number one was Peter Drucker, and then Peter Drucker again in 2003, then Michael Porter, and then, in 2007, it was um, C.K. Pralad, uh, the author of uh, co-author of Competing for the Future and The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid. And we were lucky enough to meet C.K. a few times and interview him, film interviews with him and share a glass of wine with him. And uh, what became clear to us then, uh, we approached it previously, we were kind of cynical journalists. But talking to C.K., you realized that his ideas had the power, to, his agenda was changing the world for the better. 
and that's what the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid actually managed to do. It managed to manage to encourage people to rethink how they fought economically about the poorest people on earth. So talking to CK kind of opened our eyes that the ideas we'd featured in the Thinkers 50 did actually have a huge influence on people's lives. So, so from then, we've dedicated uh, our activities to and energies to ensuring that uh, we promote ideas and, and thinkers who really want to make the world and organizations better places. So I, I love that. And, and it kind of launches me into my next question, which you may have already at least in part answered, which is, you know, you, so you've spent the last 20 years looking at who the top thought leaders are. And I'm curious about your definition even of leadership, like when you're looking for and, and assessing who are these top leaders, how are you, how do you think about, you know, what makes a great leader? How do you define that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the thinkers included in our, in our, our ranking, and we do have a, a leadership award as well now. So leadership is a, a big deal in, in the business field. And it, it's, it's quite interesting, really, because if you think about how many leadership programs there are, how many leadership modules on MBA programs, how many leadership keynote speakers, leadership books. And yet the one thing I think virtually everyone would agree on is that there's a shortage of leaders. Right. And which is kind of perplexing. Uh, to some extent, I think leadership has been overrated, its, its influence over the last 10, 20 years. I, obviously, it's important, but I, I think that management is somewhat underrated and leadership is slightly overrated. And in, in ways that kind of leadership, say, if you're a CEO, they're rewarded out of proportion to the, the impact of their leadership on uh, the performance of the organization, I think. Obviously, leadership is important, but I kind of define it by followers. Who are the followers and where, where are they going? And I think the, the followership and the emphasis on followers has increased over recent years. I mean, I think your own work as well has contributed to that. So leaders are seen in the round rather than more narrowly. And I, I think the way the study of leadership in the last 30, 40 years has, has, has tended to focus fairly narrowly. But I think only now are we coming to a rounder understanding of what leadership is. And too often, I think, in the study of leadership, followers are actually forgotten about. It's interesting. When I, when I think about my work and the various books that I've written and the trend that goes through them, it, it's so much about closing the gap between what we know and what we do, right? Both from a time management perspective and then from a habit perspective and from a strategy execution perspective and from a leadership perspective. It's like, and that's, you know, your point about management, I really resonate with, which is that management is about closing the gap. Like maybe the leaders are defining the strategy. Management is saying, how do we take this somewhat ambiguous, amorphous idea and drive it to fruition? Someone, uh, I, I was actually, uh, you and I talked a little bit earlier, I was just in Switzerland and I was talking to uh, a gentleman who ran a gallery and it's a famous gallery and, and he was talking to, you know, how he chose great artists and he said, and, and there's some, it, this lacks humility, uh, what he said, but there's also real truth to it, which is, um, and he was quoting someone, it's not that I, that I make right decisions. It's that I make decisions and then I make them right. Right. right? And it's like, 
it's and and it's so it lacks some humility, but it's also but it's very much the execution focus, which is that the strategy may or may not be right, but it's how effectively we make it right after driving that strategy that makes the success of a venture. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a, there was an emphasis in the which grew up, I suppose, in the 1960s when strategic management was basically uh, discovered. Um, so there's been an emphasis on leaders coming up with strategies and being distant from the execution of it. I think that I think that's changed. Uh, probably not, hasn't changed enough, but uh, in, I think it's important that leaders are when well, the realization that they are inextricably linked to the execution of their strategy. Right. Yeah, it's not enough to define strategy and leave it at that. Right. Right. You've started this. Uh, and the Thinkers 50 has started this uh, MBA program, a, an executive MBA that um, I happened to just see uh, before this podcast that it was launched. And I'm curious about it. I'm curious about, you know, it certainly follows from what you're saying, but both both why you started it and also, you know, your point about leadership is there's a million books about leadership and and a huge effort and yet leaders, you know, I'm not sure they've gotten better over the past 50 years. And I would say, you know, having gone and done an executive MBA myself, that there's a tremendous number of MBA programs. And I don't know that they are, uh, they are, you know, bringing out stronger leaders, better managers, etc. So I'm curious, what you're hoping to add to the conversation around leadership and management with the executive MBA and, and what you're hoping the impact will be. To some extent, Des and I have been writing about business schools and MBA programs for probably 30 years uh, in the same way that um, somebody like Henry Mintzberg has been uh, castigating business schools and MBAs for, for a, lot, a much longer length of time. So to some extent, it's putting our, our, not our money where our mouth is, but uh, putting our ideas where our mouths are, uh, to put into practice some of the things we, we've talked about. It always seemed to me that uh, what's missing in a lot of business school courses, and, and it's not to say that they, they all have this missing, is, is the practical element. I, I, I would I like business education and, and business ideas that are down to earth and, and practical, uh, not esoteric and uh, theoretical and so our program is uh, an executive MBA program and it'll hope to take advantage of the the Thinkers 50 community because over the years we've built a, a great community of thinkers and uh, people on our radar such as yourself so and we've also got a huge library of content so it will give students access to all that content and hopefully have access to a lot of the ideas that are emerging. So it'll, it'll be practical. And I think what's interesting and um, what we'd like to key into is that the the agenda and the remit of management ideas has expanded. So for instance, there's a, a European thinker called Anders Inset, who's exploring the relationship between philosophy and business. What, what can we learn about philosophy from philosophy to apply it to business? I think that sort of thing is interesting. I was talking to Shabir Chowdhury, who's, some, who's on the Thinkers 50, who's basically a quality guru and has saved companies like General Motors billions of dollars. And I was talking to him and he, he wanted to talk to me about and give me an update on his work. His update on his work was that uh, he'd really discovered literature and that the world of literature could inform business to a much greater degree than it does, which something I else I, I, I would agree with. So I think historically that 
courses on business schools and the emphasis on business schools has been quite narrow. And this doesn't apply across the board now, but historically it has been narrow. It's been focused on, I mean, 30 years ago, it was, it was focused on improving corporate performance, it's improving shareholder value, understanding shareholder value. And I think the best business school courses have gone far beyond that. They've got a much wider uh, remit. And so our MBA kind of picks up on that, but with a very strong practical element. Uh, for instance, we emphasize the importance of project management, which it seems to me is one of those subjects that's perennially uh, ignored by business schools and yet is inc incredibly important in actually getting things done. Hopefully, uh, our, our small undertaking as a, an MBA will uh, strike a chord with uh, enough people to make it uh, uh, an, an, on, an ongoing thing which we can develop. And it goes back to the, com the, the companies we've, we've come across and the people we've worked with who have, have inspired us. And the thinkers we really like are the people who are changing the world. For instance, we did, um, I went to Malaysia to a, a Blue Ocean Strategy conference a couple of years ago. And Blue Ocean Strategy is one of those successful books sold three to four million copies. And we know Chan Kim and Rennie Moburn, who, who authored it. And there's kind of this perennial debate about whether it's a, a great idea and how original it is. And you could argue one way or the other. But then you go to Malaysia, and I went to Malaysia, and, you, and the government are, are putting ideas into practice, changing how they run prisons on the basis of Blue Ocean Strategy. So there's things they can actually point to. They've read the book, and they're putting something into practice. And I think that's incredible. Uh, and that sort of thing... I think that's what makes people think. How can you translate uh, business theories into things that will change, really change the world for the better? So hopefully the executive MBA we've developed will pick, on, pick up on some of these themes. So I, I, I love that element, and I think it's really critically important, which we'll just call the element of putting it into practice, right? Which is, you know, you could know everything in the world, and if you don't put it into practice, it's not particularly valuable in that way, except that there's sort of a love of ideas. But, but in terms of really developing leaders and managers and having a business school, it's about putting things into practice that makes the world a better place. I'm curious about how, like, whether there's a way in which you're approaching the MBA, what you're doing with the MBA that will encourage this put into practice? How do you help managers actually develop their skills in a way that translates into shifting behavior and, and, and addressing reality in a new way? Well, you give them pro projects that connect directly to what they're doing at work, I think, is, is, is a starting point. And I think the MBA is, is, is not a... Uh, an experience that lasts two years and that's the end of it. I think what you need to do in MBAs and, and all executive education is inculcate habits of learning and curiosity and enable people to develop those habits and know how they work. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's always surprised me is I've been in many CEOs' offices and there's no books there. Anything? And you ask them often, I used to ask, so what are you reading at the moment? And your typical CEO will say they're reading a book about Napoleon Bonaparte or they're, they're reading a book about uh, biology. Very, I, I can't think of a single instance where one of them said, 
oh, I've read this great business book. Oh, have you, have you seen Chan Kim and Renny Mo Burns' latest book? Or Gary Hamill's got a new book out and I've been reading that. Or Dan Pink. They don't do it. And it always, always amused me that if you're um, running an organisation, aren't you in the least bit curious about the latest thinking and whatever people's perspectives are? Um, so I think actually on, on an MBA, if you could actually um, give students access to the world's leading thinkers, uh, which... We, we, we have at the Thinkers 50, but also get them into the habit of reading books and, and questioning the ideas that are out there, then that's a major step forward. And that's what translates into uh, in practice in the future. The trouble is that at the moment, MBAs are often seen in isolation. It's almost an argument to only have executive MBAs, meaning, you know, arguably to do an MBA, I mean, I did an executive MBA, so maybe I'm biased, but but to, to, you know, with an executive MBA, you, you know, you're going to school one day a week or however it is that you're doing the MBA, the executive MBA, but you're working the rest of the time. And so by definition, you know, the preponderance of what you're doing is, is applying. And if the MBA is constructed properly, then it's really guided towards creating a lifelong habit of learning and practice and reflection and revision and and then trying something new and it's kind of an action learning prototyping design methodology that says the way you should actually be living your life is is integrating the learning with the work that you're doing yeah no i agree i think people have tended to do particularly in america it's, it's different in in europe but people in america tend to do mbas far too young right you want to be, it seems to me, you need to be in your, a, a bit older and actually trying out some of the ideas and have tried them out and think, oh, well, that didn't work. Why the way did I go wrong? And the MBA provides a different uh, perspectives on it. So I think, yeah, that's right. And I think the executive MBAs are, are really important. And I'm not saying that the Thinkers 50 MBA has a, has a, a monopoly of wisdom. Because I think there's lots now, I think there's lots of good MBAs out there and there's lots of good, good work being done at business schools. But I still think they could be the emphasis on putting things into practice could be much greater. And that's what we hope to bring about. One of the most inspiring CEOs we, we know is the CEO of the Chinese company Hire, who's called Zhang Min, And he's turned around the company completely. He's been involved with the company for the best part of 30 years. And his inspiration was he stumbled upon a copy of Peter Drucker's The Effective Executive. And it changed the way he managed. And since then, he's, he's a voracious reader of books. And he's kind of a benchmark of somebody who's really curious and continually trying out things. And the result is one of the most innovative managerial companies in the world and one of the most successful companies. So I think there are uh, role models of uh, business leaders who are curious and want to pick up on ideas and develop ideas. So I have an idea for you uh, for a future business after the executive MBA, because uh, I'm sure a lot of your attention is going towards that. And that is to create kind of a Thinkers 50 uh, investment fund. And you can, you know, like what you just identified, which is you identify the leaders in organizations who, um, who are living by some of this, you know, leadership guru methodology that that, you know, is very applicable and really works, and then kind of, 
you know, raise a fund and, and I don't know that you necessarily want to get in that business, but you know, it's a good bet, which is that the leaders who are actually, you know, who have books on their shelves and who are actually paying attention to some of this leadership methodology are actually the leaders who are, who are most useful to make a bet on. Yeah. No, I think it's a great idea. And we've often talked, talked about, uh, could we get the, the members of the thinkers 50 together and, or group them, say, get the, all the innovation guys, get Clay Christensen and some of the innovation guys and, and sit them down and say, okay, here's, here's a big problem. Could we work together to, to, to figure it out? And uh, I think that's, that's really interesting. I, I think there's, um, there's a will and an enthusiasm for collaboration, certainly in the community of, of thinkers we deal with, which was never, never there before, I think. And, and I think so that that is actually encouraging for the for the future. I, I think so, too. And I actually think, yeah, like another idea is to really what you're describing, which is and, and I feel that, by the way, in my just in doing this podcast and connecting with a lot of thought leaders. Um, and I feel my own excitement and their excitement about things we might be able to do together and ways we might be able to collaborate. And when I think about some of the larger world problems that, you know, everything from from, you know, healthcare to poverty to like the sort of larger global problems that if if with a little bit of a splash, you got some some real thinkers to and thought leaders and people with, you know, those of us who have like enough prominence that we might you know, there's a shot at being taken seriously to come up with some thoughts and ideas. You could really impact policy, which could really make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, you can see that in. I mean, a lot of the thinkers we think we, we feature in the Thinkers Fifty um, are looking at things like healthcare and ed education. Right. And, and I think I mean these are a lot of them are organisational issues. I mean, right. healthcare. So in the UK, we have the National Health Service, which I think is one of the third biggest, third or fourth biggest organisations in the world after Walmart and the, the Indian railways and the Chinese army. And, but it's, it's issues, I mean, obviously funding, is always, finance is always going to be an issue for it. But to a large extent, it's an organizational challenge. Right. And, right. And, the people, and the people we feature on the Thinkers 50, are, a lot of them are organizational experts. Well, so I you, think could, you could also argue that when Hillary Clinton tried to fix the U.S. healthcare system back, you know, a few decades ago, the failure was absolutely an organizational failure it was not it was not a conceptual failure it was an organizational failure yeah and so i think organizations are are, are what makes the world work and the people and we feature in the thinkers 50 are furthering understanding of organizations and it's interesting there's a lot of um, innovative work on organizations in government which is surprising and perhaps ironic but um these issues are organizational, and a lot of the thinkers we feature can shed important light on it, I think. We have been talking with Stuart Craner, uh, along with Des Dearlove. He founded and runs The Thinkers 50 uh, and, uh, and has spent really much of his life focused on what are the top leadership ideas and, and ways in which we think and how can they impact the world. Uh, Stuart, such a pleasure having you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure entirely, Peter. Really nice talking to you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.